as your people, people who have been brought from darkness into the marvelous light. We declare that you are beautiful, you are wonderful, you are holy, you are wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and we worship you here today. Lord, I pray that as we turn our attention to your word and as we consider this Psalm of David this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, teach us about your faithfulness, teach us about your loving kindness even in the midst of the darkness that we experience in our lives. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. progressing through this series, Finding Jesus in the Old Testament, I've been going back and perusing some of the old textbooks and some of the old notes and some of the old things from, from my seminary classes on preaching. And I've shared this story with, I think, before, but I just wanted to make sure everybody knows that, that uh, when I first went to my first seminary preaching class, I had a pretty big chip on my shoulder. I thought, you know, I kind of knew everything that I needed to know about preaching, that I was pretty good at it. And so I really didn't get much out of the first quarter of Preaching 101 with uh, my preaching prof. His name was, was William Hogan, Bill Hogan. And, and after that class, before that class, and my next preaching class, um, the Lord kind of worked on my heart and, and really sort of took me to task on this attitude that I had about this professor because, you know, he was older and, and much older than me. And, uh, and I just... I just really start to feel bad, and, and the Lord really convicted me that, that here is a man who is a great preacher. I heard him preach several times after that, and, and uh, I could learn a lot from this man. And, and, and I just felt horrible over this, this attitude that I had towards him. So I went to Professor Hogan, and I said, Professor Hogan, I need to ask your forgiveness over this. And I, I shared with him my attitude, and uh, in, in his patient, you know, um, wise uh, person, he he forgave me, and then I set out to learn every possible thing I could from him. I, I took every class that he offered during the time that I was at Bethel Seminary in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and uh, learned everything that I could from him. So over the the last you know three, four, five weeks, I've been perusing some of the books, the textbooks that I had during that weekend, and then um, this last week I was thumbing through my three ring binder that that's full of notes and sermons and things, and, and I found this message that that really grabbed my heart. And it was a message, I'm assuming, that Professor Hogan did years ago. I don't even know when. Um, but, but it just really spoke to my heart, and I just really felt like um, it would speak to yours as well. So a portion of today's message comes from, from my pre- preaching professor, Bill Hogan. I just wanted to be upfront with that, and in case he's been listening to me online and recognizes some of the things that I say. Um, I, you know, I, I don't... I at least give him credit for that. So... 
If you would, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 13 this morning. Turn to Psalm chapter 13 and be ready. And here in uh, a couple minutes, we're going to read that together. It will be on the screen uh, up here initially so that we're all at least reading the same version right away. Now, when I was in grade school, uh, when I was in grade school at, at the little Alvin Baptist Church in Alvin, Wyoming, um, we, my friends and I, the friends that I had that were the same age, we loved to play after church. And after church, we would always run around behind the church. There were these two big rows of lilac bushes behind the church. I mean, right next to it. You know, there was, it, was, it was like this cool corridor, and we had all of these little trails through these lilac bushes. And, and it was a lot of fun, and we would play all kinds of games and stuff. And, and there was this one Sunday that we were all playing back there. We, we would play there as long as our parents would let us. And one of my friend's parents came back to get them, and it was the last friend that I had to play with. So I went around front with them because, you know, they were leaving. And they were the last ones to leave church. Uh, my parents had gone home without me. They left me at church. Now, you know, years before, my closest brother is 10 years older than me, okay? I'm in grade school. I'm an only child. It's not like, you know, they had four kids in the car and I just, they just missed me. They left me there. Uh, we live about seven miles away from the church, and I don't know when it dawned on them that I wasn't in the car, uh, but they came back and, and, and got me. But have you ever had those times when you were left behind or you felt abandoned? Okay, and that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about here today. That's how David is feeling in the passage that we're in today. So, um, I want to do something. We haven't done this in a while. I would like to have us all stand, and I want you to look up here at the screen, and we're all going to read Psalm 13 together out loud. Okay? And, and you can put as much or little expression into reading it as it draws you in as you want. So, let's begin. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would use Your Word in our hearts here this morning to encourage, to challenge, to comfort. Oh God, may, may we hear You speaking to us in whatever way You want to speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Now, being forgotten by people and my parents is one thing. But being forgotten by God, that's a whole nother story, isn't it? Well, that's David's complaint here in this psalm. How long, Lord, David says? Is it going to be forever? How long, O oh Lord? Now, the great English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon combined the two words, how long. Okay, he took the word how, and then he took the word long. How and long, he took the... The, this O out, and he changed it with an I, and he made it this. Howling. He said, this is the howling psalm. David, I mean, we read this, and four times he says, how long, how long, how long, how long? And it, and it seems like he's just getting to the point where it's a long, mournful wail. 
Psalm 13 shows us how howling can change to singing, and we're going to see that here this morning. The, the psalm is in three divisions, each consisting of two verses, if you look at it there. Um, these six verses, there's a rapid ascent from the depths of lonely anguish to the heights of great joy, from deep despair to profound peace. Verses 1 and 2 express David's feeling of abandonment. Verses 3 and 4 are a prayer in which he asks God to turn his face toward him and answer his questions. And verse 5 and 6 express David's recovered trust in God, and they have a tone of rejoicing. So as we look at our psalm today, uh, we see that each of the three stanzas represent a timeless principle that is as applicable today as it ever has been and as it ever was even the day that David penned the words. So the lesson of the first stanza is, number one, when you feel that God has abandoned you, tell him how you are feeling. If you feel that God has abandoned you, tell him how you are feeling. David is expressing a deep and intense feeling of abandonment here, isn't he? Four times he repeats the question, how long? And each time David suggests a different reason for him feeling this way. And I think we might be able to relate a little bit. The first reason indicates that David was undergoing some sort of prolonged struggle in which there was no apparent answer from God and no apparent action on God's part. So we ask, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? Is, is this just going to go on and on and on? You know, a prolonged and unrelenting problem is probably the most frequent cause of the feelings of abandonment by people. Now, in the short, short term, we don't, we don't think this way. You know, um, if we pray about something and we receive an answer, we don't ask how long. Um, if we're praying for something and, and, and we do sense the presence of God and, and there's this sense that, that even though God is not answering, but we, we sort of get the sense that He's hearing us, we don't ask how long, but it can be different when the short-term experience becomes a long-term pattern. And it goes on and on and on for weeks, maybe months, maybe years, maybe decades. And, and there's this thing that we're struggling with. We may begin to wonder if God's silence will endure forever. Is it, is it going to be like this forever, God? That is the term David uses here. He says, will you forget me forever? And, and we begin to imagine that the end of this period of distress and pain will never come. When, when you're deep in the thick of it and, and it hurts so bad, you wonder, am, am I going to think and feel this way forever? Now, it doesn't really happen anymore, but in the old days, back in the old days of, of landlines and regular phones, um, you used, sometimes you would try to call somebody and you would get a, something that's called a busy signal. Right? We don't get those anymore. We don't get very many busy signals anymore. It's this click on the other end and the other person tries to get you off the phone as fast as they can so they can answer the other call. Right? You've been there. Um, or it's your, you're at the tail end of a phone call and you really, really need to catch this call. But that other person's not getting a busy signal. It used to be in the old days that, that you would try to call somebody and you would get a busy signal. And in the old days, it wasn't push the redial button every time you tried to call them again, right? It was cheek, 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 click, 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 click. Click, 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 right? I mean, a lot of you probably remember those phones. A number of you have no idea what I'm even talking about or how that even would work. Uh, but but it, it's, 
it's a bummer when you're trying to get a hold of somebody and all you get is a busy signal. Uh, we had a gentleman come to the pit stop this week, the biker pit stop, and, and we've had a couple hundred bikers come, and uh, um, he was trying to get to Portland, Oregon. And, uh, and so we had determined that we were gonna, the church was going to buy him a bus ticket and send him to Portland, Oregon. So he's sitting in my office, and I have his ID and that sort of thing, and I'm typing it in, and I'm trying to get... There, there's a bus coming through Wheatland at noon. This is about 8 o'clock in the morning, so we got time to get him over there. And... Uh, and I, I click to buy the ticket, and it says you can't make this purchase online. And I'm like thinking to myself, well, of course I can. I just did it, right? I put my credit card information in there, so I did it all over again, and it said the same thing. So I thought, you know, I'll try a different time. So I tried later in the afternoon, same thing. Tried a different day, same thing. I'm thinking, why does not Greyhound want my money? Uh, so I... Uh, in that message that says, you can't purchase this ticket online, please call. So I'm like, okay, I'll call. I called the number. Guess what I got? A computer. She was really nice sounding. I will give the computer that. I listened to every option she had, and there were like eight of them. I tried a couple of them. I mean, half an hour I try this. Nothing. I get nothing. I, I don't ever purchase a ticket. So then I thought, well, I'm, I'm smarter than all of this. I googled um, Greyhound Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I got the number for the ticket office in Cheyenne. Office hours, you know, 8 to 5. I, it's like 9 o'clock by now. So I call the Cheyenne number. Guess what? No answer. I tried two, three times. Nothing. I never did buy a ticket on Greyhound. It, it didn't happen, and it was frustrating. And turned out, after some other information was found, that he, he didn't actually need to go to Portland. He needed to go to Des Moines, Iowa. So that next morning, um, I bought a ticket to Des Moines, Iowa on trailways.com, and I got a ticket. Um, so uh, the, the point is, I just couldn't get through, and that's how David feels right here. Um, he just didn't feel like he was getting through. He's either getting a busy signal, or God has abandoned him altogether and he's not even listening to him. That's how David is feeling right here and right now. And, and there are times in our lives when we can feel the same way. Well, the second cause of David's feeling of abandonment is that the blessings of God he had experienced previously seem to have ceased. This is probably what David is talking about in the second line of verse 1, when he says, How long will you hide your face from me? See, when people in the Old Testament and in the Bible were experiencing God's blessings, they sometimes spoke of God shining his face upon them. And, and so here is David. He's not feeling blessed. So obviously God is hiding his face from him. And, and that can happen in many areas of our lives, can't it? It can happen in our marriages. It may be that, you know, jobs and stress or, or uh, are, are edging out and, and causing difficulty when we're trying to unify two unique personalities in, in relationship together 24-7. That, that happens. And, and there are times, you know, early on in your marriage, it's all, you know, it's the honeymoon period, right? It's all bliss and everything's good. And God, you just really feel blessed by God and this other person. And then you kind of get, the rubber starts meeting the road. And, and, you know, as some of the people I've talked to, the, there's dirty socks and underwear on the floor and there's wet towels on the floor of the bathroom and, and they're putting the toilet paper on the wrong way and they're squeezing the tube of the toothpaste from the middle and not the end. I mean, there's all kinds of those things. 
And, and, and I don't want to trivialize that, but there are major things as well. And, and, and there comes to the point in our relationships at times where we think God is not blessing this anymore. Did I make a mistake? Did I screw up? Should, should I have done something different? Has God left? Is He taking His hand off of this situation? This can also happen where children are involved. You remember the early days, right? When they were little and, and, and they, for the most part, did everything that you told them to and all you had to do was change their diaper and feed them and, and put them to bed, you know, bathe them once in a while. Um, but then our children get older and maybe one of our children becomes indifferent to the family or, or to the faith and perhaps even resentful and, and rebellious and everyone else in the family suffers from the strain of the attitude of that one child and nobody has any fun anymore and and it's easy to begin to ask god have you forgotten us god um have the blessings of god been taken away and in the midst of that we wonder is this going to go on forever is this ever going to end it can happen in our spiritual lives too there have been many years when maybe in your spiritual life from when you first uh, came to Christ where, where good, great things were happening and, and, and you were growing and, and God was humbling you and, and, and there were spiritual victories and spiritual blessings. But, but then for, for months and maybe even for years, you've, you, you, you enter the desert and, and there's this, you're in this spiritual slump and the lack of blessing has continued on for so long that, that you begin to wonder, maybe, am I, a, am I even a Christian? Is do, do I really even have God in my life? And, and in extreme situations, you may even think that God has abandoned you forever. Prolonged and unrelenting struggles, the removal of blessings, and now a third thing can cause a person to feel that God has turned his back, namely deep sadness of soul. David asks the question a third time in verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart. If you have ever been through some great trial, you know exactly what David is talking about. And if you have never been through a great trial, there will come a day when you will enter the desert. It will be difficult. Jesus himself in John said that we will have trouble. In this world, he said to the disciples, um, you will have trouble. John chapter 16. Difficulties and problems in life can sometimes wither our joy, suck, suck it out. We can't sleep. We can't eat. We can't, we can't settle down to concentrate on anything. Every, every time we try to get our mind on something else, it, it creeps back in. That gnawing ache inside. Maybe it's, maybe it's a relationship with another person or, or some other kind of situation and you know your phone rings and it's like, oh, your heart just sinks because you know it's probably that person or... It's hard. It's difficult. I, I want to add two quick observations here before I go on to the fourth reason David felt abandoned. First of all, there, there are people that are prone to being negative and are prone to depression than others. I mean, um, they have a temperament. temperament. They're inclined to, to think that direction. You know, there are half-cup full people and there are half-cup empty people, right? There are pessimists and there are optimists. And there's nothing worse than having people who are on both of those extremes in the same room together working in the same workplace, is there? You know, one person's happy all the time and it doesn't matter what life throws, to, throws at them, but they, they just have faith and, and they just believe God. And, and then there's the other person and, and, and they just want to strangle and punch out that other person be, be, because their, their pain and their hurt is so real. It, 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 you know, why can't this other person understand what I'm going through and what I'm experiencing? 
Um, you know, some people are naturally bent in those directions. It's just a fact. And neither are any more or less spiritual than the other. And, and then there's also uh, depression can be the result of physical causes. You know, Charles Spurgeon, who was arguably the greatest evangelical leader of his time, suffered from bouts of severe depression. And the reasons that, that were given for these severe bouts of depression that he had was he suffered from extreme cases of gout. And, and there were times when, when his physical and his emotional energy were just sucked out by the pain that he felt. And, and, or like a mother who is up half the night with a colicky baby that just won't sleep or that's never happy and, and fusses all of the time. There are times when, when she can become depressed and she can feel abandoned by other people who don't know what she's experiencing. It's, it's hard to be emotionally strong when you are so physically wrung out. Now for the fourth reason, David also felt abandoned by God because he had been forsaken by other people. And we are not told what specific situation lies behind Psalm 13, but we can make a pretty good guess. It, it's another psalm in which David is being troubled by a persistent enemy. And it looks, according to verse 2, that the enemy is winning. How long will my enemy triumph over me? This psalm was, was likely written, as were a number of other psalms, during the years when David was running away from King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him. He was trying to take his life and, and, and if King Saul, Saul faced him at any moment in time, he would draw his sword and cut his head off. That's what King Saul was looking to do. And during those years, David sought refuge on one occasion among the Moabites in a, in a foreign land. He, he fled to the wilderness of Ziph. For a time, he hid out with, a band of, with his band of outlaws in the cave of Adullam. And he even entered the service, it says in the Old Testament, of the king of the Philistines for a period of time, running from King Saul who wanted to kill him. Dark times in the life of David. And throughout his entire period of exile, he was haunted by this one thought. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1. David thought to himself, one of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. There's no hope. Saul's going to get me. And he ran and he ran and he ran. Now, Psalm 12, the previous psalm, seems to be written under similar circumstances. Uh, David's emotions don't uh, seem to be as intense in Psalm 12. They intensify from 12 to 13. In Psalm 12, David feels himself to be alone in the sense that godly or faithful people have, have disappeared. They're, they're gone. If, if you look at Psalm 12, verse 1, it says, Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. That's bad enough to feel alone in a situation when you feel like all of your brothers and sisters have, have abandoned you. But, but David continues on in this situation to feel like God Himself has abandoned him. It's often the case that when we feel opposed by all the people we considered important to us, this sense of, ban of abandonment from them begins to transfer and transpose into our relationship with God. And, and we begin to feel like, well, all of this stuff is going on and God's supposed to love me and is supposed to be all-powerful, but He's not doing anything for me, so maybe He has abandoned me and given up on me. Most of us, I suppose, 
do not have literal human enemies, at least as serious as the one that, that David was facing here. But if you are a Christian, we do have one enemy who is as bad as they come. It's our spiritual enemy. Peter describes him in this way in 1 Peter 5.8. Be self-controlled and alert. Be aware of this, Peter says. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There is no end to the ways that the devil will try to lead us into spiritual depression and despair. He will do whatever he can to convince us that in fact God has abandoned us and that he doesn't really care about you or me. I think this feeling of abandonment is probably more common among Christians than it may appear. I mean, we put on a good front and we put on a good face, but deep down inside, I think there are times when we, we just feel alone and, and we're not willing to confess it out loud. But even though it is a common problem, there's not much that's been written about it, especially by Christians. And I suppose the main reason for that is that we have been taught that God will never abandon His people and therefore it is wrong for us to feel that He has so we suppress those feelings and we just try not to think about them. Even the French atheist Voltaire said on his deathbed, I am abandoned by God and man. It's not surprising that an unbeliever would say that, but when a Christian says it, there are some Christians who will have serious questions about the genuineness of the faith of anyone who would voice such a question. So even though we might feel that, we keep quiet about it because we don't want anybody to think that we don't trust God. It is true, of course. A sense of being abandoned by God is an unnecessarily is an unnecessary feeling for a Christian to entertain because Scripture assures us repeatedly that God never forgets about us, that He never forsakes His children. Simply from the nature of God, what conclusion we can draw is that the memory of an omniscient God cannot fail. He cannot forget. The only things He forgets is our confessed sin. He blots our sins even from His own mind. Moreover, he specifically promises that he will never forsake his believing people. The prophet Isaiah quotes the complaint of God's people in Isaiah 49:14. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And then the Lord responded to this in verse 15. He says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Maybe. Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. We are permanent as His children. Several times in the Old Testament, God makes a promise to one or another of His people, a, a promise which finally is quoted in Hebrews chapter 13.5 in the New Testament where it is directed to all believers where Jesus says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And it is here where we begin to see Jesus from Psalm 13. He is the one that will eventually save. But despite assurances, it is still true that sometimes Christians can feel that God has forsaken them. We can feel that way. And we can know the truth in our heads, but the reality and the pain of our situation sometimes is so heavy that we wonder if God has not forgotten us. So, what should we do when we feel this way? Because I believe that at, at some point in every one of our lives, 
we will ask this question that David asked. God, where are you? Will you forget me forever? I mean, this is king. This is going to be the king here, right? David has been anointed already. He knows that he's going to be the king. And now in the midst of this prolonged experience, he's asking God, have you forgotten about me? Have you forsaken me? Is this going to go on forever? So what do we do? What should we do when we feel this way? Because really, it would be illogical for us if if we think that God has turned his back on us and he's turned a deaf ear to us. It wouldn't be logical for us to really say anything to him. You know, so prayer is out, right? No, prayer is not out. And and that's what we learn from David here. We learn that when we feel abandoned, the thing that we should do is to tell God how we are feeling. Even though David feels as if God has forgotten him, he is no longer blessing him and that he is no longer helping him in his struggle against his enemies, he still does not stop talking to God. What, what he says to God in the first two verses does not qualify as a spiritual prayer. I mean, it's really a complaint. In fact, it borders on accusation. But at least it is addressed to God. That is the important thing. So we learn from this psalm that God welcomes even immature and ungrateful prayers because as long as we are speaking to Him, we are placing ourselves in a position where He can work with us. Don't stop talking to God. Tell Him the truth. You can't hide it from Him anyway. You just, well, open your mouth and get it all out there. Let God know how you're feeling in the midst of whatever it is that you are in the midst of. One reason people sometimes ask how long is that they are impatient. But we have to realize that, that, that God is never in a hurry. He's not as hurried and all busy as we are in, in our lives. Some things move so slowly in our lives that, that we pound at heaven's doors demanding, How long, O oh Lord? How long? I want it today. I need this now. But He knows what He's doing. The entire process is controlled from on high. From our impatient viewpoint, the process may be excruciatingly slow. Sometimes we feel as if nothing is happening at all, but he can see it and he has an end product in mind. So number two, when you feel that God has abandoned you, don't stop asking for his help. Don't stop asking for his help. At verse 3, the mood of the psalm abruptly changes. In the first two verses, David has been crying out almost incoherently and certainly emotionally. And now he turns to a deliberate, rational, thoughtful prayer. And his prayer has three requests. His first request is, look at me. His feelings are that God has turned his back on him, that God has turned his face away from him. So David is asking God to to turn around, to, to... to help him see that God is, is, is facing him, that, that he is, in fact, in God's presence. His, his feelings tell him that God is no longer speaking to him and will never speak again. So the second thing he asks God to do is to answer his prayers. Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. Look on me and answer, O oh Lord my God, he says. Let's take a look at those four words right there for just a couple moments. Look at the name of God to whom he prays right there. Oh, Lord. What is the Hebrew word translated to English, Lord? Small caps. What is the word? Somebody yell it. Any ideas? 
Yahweh. It's Yahweh. Remember when Moses said, Who shall I tell the Pharaoh sent me? God said, Tell him, I am sent you. I am right there is Yahweh. And every time in your Old Testament that, that you see Lord in all caps, small, it's, it's an English word for Yahweh. God's name for himself. And it means the covenant-keeping God. So, so as David is praying, he's praying, O oh, oh Lord, O oh Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, my God. The, the Hebrew word there is Elohim, which means the God of power. God, you have made a covenant with me and you are a powerful God and that is who I am coming to and that is who we come to when we cry out to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, my God. And the other word in there that I want you to see here this morning is my. It's my. This covenant-keeping God. This all-powerful God is your God and my God and David's God. David David knows that he's been anointed as king. He's, he's God's chosen king. So he has to know that he's going to live and reign no matter what anyone could do to him. But there is that point of time when he's running for his life that he doubts God's plan and he wonders if God can actually pull it off. And now, as he's, after he's, he's cried out his heart to God and he's poured it out, Lord, I feel abandoned by you. I feel like you've left me. Now he begins, he begins to cry out and say, Oh Lord, the covenant-keeping God, the God all-powerful, may my enemy not win. David's feelings have told him that all is lost and that his enemy will triumph, but that's not the truth of the situation. He prays, Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. To give light... To the eyes means to preserve him and to restore him to full physical and mental health because he is probably, if this is later on in, in his running, how tired could he be? No place to lay his head, no place to eat regularly. Running for his life. And David prays in this way because he does not want his enemies to seem victorious. As he says in verse 4 right there, God, it if my enemy is victorious, then they're going to say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I don't think this is a selfish request. David knew that he was God's chosen king. He, his rule to be God's... His, um, his rule or his, his God's will was to be... David's rule was to be God's rule. And victory over David would in essence mean victory over God. The defeat of God and his kingdom. And God answers David's prayer. I mean, Saul is eventually defeated, eventually. And David is elevated to the throne, just as God had said. It often seems as if the enemies of Christ are winning, doesn't it? It seems in our world today, if, if Satan is not winning more battles than God is winning. Or you see 50,000 Christians in the middle of a country in our world who have three options. They've been given three options. This is over in Iraq. I don't know if you've been watching this, but they've fled for their lives and the, the Islamic State, whatever, ISIS, has given them three options. You can leave. You can flee. 
You can convert to Islam or you can die. That's their three options. That's the three options that they have been given. It seems like Satan is winning left and right. But, but even though it, seemed like, it seems like that, it's not true. It, it seems that way when they killed Stephen. They've slaughtered uh, uh, millions of people have died martyrs since Stephen's death. But, but actually, they, they never really prevail, not in the ultimate sense, do they? Because they can only kill the body. Now, to us, to me that's breathing, when I think about that, to kill my body, that's kind of a big deal. You know, I, I don't want to lose my life for what I believe, but I should be willing to. And if I were to lose my life for what I believe, what, really, what, what is next? Something more wonderful than I've ever experienced before in my life. Christ triumphed over Satan at Calvary, and in him God's people are invincible in that sense. He may not always preserve our lives, but he keeps our souls, and nothing, nothing when we are a child of God can take us out of his hands or separate us from him. Even what appear to be losses are part of his grand strategy of victory. Some years ago, a speaker at the Moody Bible Institute's annual Founders Week conference told a story which fits this point. He, he told how when he was young, he thought of himself as the world's greatest checker player. But there was another old man in his town who people thought he was the best checker player. And so he hoped that one day he might be able to match up with this old man. And one, one day he was uh, walking by this old man's house and the old man cried out to him and said, Hey, you young little whippersnapper. That's how I envision him saying it anyway. Come on up here on the porch and let's see who's the better checker player. So the young man runs up and gets on the, on the porch. And uh, this story was told by a preacher. And that preacher was the young man. This happened to him. And so he was, th this young man was excited and eager to prove his superiority to the old man. And so they, they laid out the checkers and... and uh, the young man made a couple of moves and so did the old man. And then the young man player saw an opening and he snapped up one after another of his opponent's men until the old man had one piece left. The younger player thought to himself, this guy's a pushover. This is an easy game. Then it was the old man's turn. He leaned over the board and he went click, 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 click. He took five pieces off the board. And then he said those two words that every checker player wants to hear. And what are they? King me. King me. The young man puts one of his things on top and he goes, click, 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 click. Game over. The young man loses. He said, you know what? I learned a valuable lesson that day. He said, I learned the value in losing a checker or two as long as he was heading for king territory. There's a great lesson in that story for us. God can afford to give up a few people. It's kind of harsh to say, but it's true. A Stephen, a Paul, a Peter, and all the countless millions who have died for their faith. And we can afford to give up some things in life if we're seeking the kingdom first and going towards the crown. We don't have to have everything we want. We can give up some stuff. You know, maybe it's TV. Maybe it's two jobs. Maybe you don't need two jobs and you've just been working two jobs because you like the money. 
We expect our missionaries to live by faith. Why should they have to and we don't, right? We can give up a few activities, even innocent ones, in order to see to it that our time is used for Christ and our family and for the church and not just wasted. Um, When we are in God's will, then what may look like losses to us will be eternal gains. You know, Satan gloated when Jesus died on the cross. But on the third day afterward, Christ broke the bonds of death and rose triumphant over the enemy. So let's leave our foes and our fears to him who knows what is best for us. Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Let's leave those things up to him. He will deliver us in his own way and in his own time. And one day all the forces that have been hostile to God will be judged and cast into a lake of fire. Divine vindication will occur and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And a third and final principle for us this morning in Psalm 13 is when you feel that God has abandoned you, you can be sure you will sing again. And here's the hard thing. Because if you're in the midst of the desert right now, this is hard to hear. Because you feel abandoned and you feel like you will never sing again. You, you feel like there's no way you could say that. And, and quite honestly, being in the midst of, of a period of desert time in my own life with a, with a certain situation, it is kind of hard to hear. But a good friend of mine about a month ago told me this very thing. He said, David, um, now I'm going to say this to you and you know that I can say this to you because you know my life and you know that I've been through some pretty tough things. And I said, yes, I do. He said, David, this will pass. There will be one day where this will be passed and you will not be experiencing what you're experiencing right now because of this situation. And as I see that in this psalm, and as I hear what David is saying, he could have just as well said, David, you will sing again. You will sing again. And so if you're in the midst of something excruciating, and it's difficult, and it's hard to hear this morning, but, but hang on to it and trust it. You will sing again. David's song is in two parts. First, he sings because of God's salvation. But I trust in your unfailing love, verse 5. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Here is one of those blessed contrasts of the Bible. Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though I'm experiencing this, I'm still going to trust him. Because I know that he can be trusted. A similar kind of confidence now comes from David. He knows that because of the mercy and covenant faithfulness of God, that he will not be consumed by Paul. Mercy, along with goodness, had followed him through all the days of trial. A clear morning will break for all who trust in the mercy of God as they endure the midnight of an apparently silent heaven. When we feel we have been abandoned, let's remember we will sing again. Second, David sings because of God's sufficiency. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. David's actual circumstances have not changed if he's writing this in the cave. But David puts everything in the past tense. He has been good to me. The change in his situation is so sure that David reckons it as already having happened. And we can do that as well. 
we will sing again. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. Paul was crying out to God to remove this thorn in the flesh. And God's response to that was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. If you have the thorn, if you are in that time in your life where you feel God has abandoned you, hang on to the fact that Christ's grace is sufficient for you and you will sing again. Jesus provides the ultimate salvation that David is talking about, of course, at Calvary. The Father's face was turned from His Son as He hung on the cross. Jesus cried, cried out this, My God, my God! Why hast thou forsaken me? Now that was an actual experience in in some mysterious way that our minds cannot comprehend. God the Father looked at God the Son who bore the sin of you and me and He turned away from Him. Jesus, in fact, did experience abandonment by the Father and it was real, not just a weak moment when His emotions overwhelmed Him. It was the real thing, and He did that for you and for me. Because He was paying the penalty for our sin, and that is what the penalty is. Abandonment by God. Someone has said that the Christian gospel can be summarized in three simple sentences. Number one, I deserve hell because of my sin. Number two, on the cross, Jesus took my hell. And number three, now there's nothing left for me but His heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Have you received that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Please don't let another day go by. We're praying that this young man that was in this crash survives. We don't know if he will or if he won't. I don't know if he was ready or if he wasn't. But any one of us could be in the position that he's in now, tonight. Are you ready? Now, if you have put your faith and trust in the Son of God, then you can be assured that because he was abandoned by the Father, you will never, ever be abandoned by him. Never. Please, get that in your head. The penalty has been paid in full. He will never abandon you because of that same sin that He was abandoned by the Father for. And in the midst of some prolonged trial, you may tempt it just as David was to think that God has abandoned you. But if in the midst of our pain and sorrow we will seek His face, we can be assured that His eye is on the sparrow and that He watches over us still. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank you that your word is true and that you never will leave us nor forsake us. And Father, I pray for those here this morning who have the feeling or have felt that you have abandoned them. Lord, I pray that they would hear you calling out them to them this morning, assuring them that you have not gone anywhere. You have not moved. Oh Lord, help us to move 
towards you. Help us to continue to talk to you. Help us to ask you for help. And Lord, I look forward to those days for myself and others who are able to sing. Lord, sustain them in the midst of this dark time. They don't understand what's going on and why you seem to be silent. But Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would overcome the emotions and the temptations of the evil one to doubt your truth and the reality of you in this world that we live in. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've saved us in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close the service here, the ushers are going to come.